0: One of our very own, uh, May Young, and I will read her bio. May is currently completing her PhD in Old Testament studies at Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois. She's taught Hebrew grammar at both Trinity and North Park Seminary. Prior to beginning her PhD studies, she worked as research consultant in healthcare for over 11 years. She has been attending New Community for the past three years, and has served, has been serving, excuse me, on the prayer team as well as the spiritual formation team. Before attending new communities, she was on the leadership team for two different churches. Church, excuse me, church plans. She has two children, Andrew, uh, who will be a senior in high school, and Deborah, who will be a junior in high school. So please, uh, before she comes uh, a little later, please keep her in your prayers that she will speak as God gives to her.
1: I was privileged to be your delegate to the 129th annual meeting of the Evangelical Covenant Church. It was held here in Chicago. Um, well, I'll only cover briefly two areas. Um, one is the priorities of the covenant denomination, which I think we will feel very akin to. And then the immigration resolution We will spend that was passed that we will sp- I will spend more time on. Uh, First, the Covenant is not a top-down organization. It is very much a a uh, circle-out, linear, not linear, but embraces um, alignment that's where there's a lot of equality. So that is why every year uh, the denominations from all over the nation gather and vote on and take the lead in the policies and governance and ministries of the covenant church the five priorities of the covenant are make and deepen disciples start and strengthen churches develop leadership love mercy and do justice and serve globally we are very blessed and um to have a gifted president gary walters And we will see uh, him in a couple weeks on some videos. But he has taken the lead to move the denomination from a 40-year-old organizational structure into a structure that embraces these five priorities, including our budget, which we passed, and the covenant is managing very well. Uh, Praise God. So I... um, want to say that Gary just encouraged us to follow the heart of God into the world. And with that, I would like us to look at the immigration resolution. I have asked two dear friends of mine to read um, the last page of that. This is the resolution. It was written um, in a five-year process from people all over the nation. This is the last page. So... um, Jen and Dave will read the resolution and flesh it out a bit for you.
2: Is this one still on? Yes. Oh, yes, okay. As followers of Christ, who himself was a stranger with no place to lay his head, we are invited to advocate for the vulnerable and marginalized among us as an act of discipleship. Therefore, Be it resolved that the 129th annual meeting of the Evangelical Covenant Church calls covenant churches and covenanters, which that was a word I learned. Covenanters are apparently congregants. Two.
3: One, allow our worship and our biblical story to prepare us for healthy Christian dialogue about immigration.
2: Two, enter into meaningful relationships with immigrant neighbors and immigrant churches by creating a safe space to share and hear stories.
3: Three, pray and advocate for our sisters and brothers who are caught in and suffer from the complexities of our current immigration system, as well as our lawmakers and immigration enforcement personnel.
2: Four, advocate for fair and humane immigration laws and policies. We want those laws and policies to foster respect for the rule of law and border control, Establish law enforcement initiatives that are consistent with humanitarian values. Reform the family-based immigration system to reduce waiting times and reunite separated families. Advocate for the end of profiling actions that diminish personhood and create a culture of fear and division within society. Expand legal avenues for workers to enter the United States and work in safe and legal Manners with their rights and due process fully protected. Address the needs of the estimated 11 million people who are currently undocumented by creating a path towards legal immigration status or citizenship for those who qualify and satisfy specific criteria. And advocate for labor laws that protect immigrants of any legal standing from exploitative labor conditions and human trafficking.
3: And number five... um, we would like to support international development organizations such as Covenant World Relief, uh, Covenant World Mission, Bread for the World, and others that address the root causes of migration from a biblical perspective, including the economic disparities between sending and receiving nations and the life-threatening realities of violence and poverty around the globe. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This resolution is four pages in length. It was debated for 55 minutes. There were open mics on each side of the aisle, pro and con. They appeared to be equal. My heart, my heart was in my throat. Um, and after a rigorous debate and uh, several churches, one from Detroit and one from Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, where they have 19. African nations worshiping together including the librarians that are scheduled to be um, sent home this year after 55 minutes of debate because it looked like it was going to be a close vote we called for a stand-up vote and not just a nay-yay and um, I was just so honored to represent Newcom <laughs> because I am sure that 90% of the people, the 340 delegates, stood in favor of this resolution, and it is now in effect.
4: Thank you. Uh, at this time, the children can be dismissed to Children's Church. And before we have our, I'm sorry, the children can be dismissed. Or oh, are they gone already? Is that why everyone's looking at me? My bad. My bad. Yeah. Thanks, Pastor Michael. Yeah. So before uh, our speaker comes, um, I'm just reminded of this the scripture where David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make a boast in the Lord, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And I just want to sing just a chorus of the song that says Bless the Lord
5: all oh my soul
4: Receive your word. Sit, rest, dwell on our hearts in this place today, Jesus. Have your way in this place. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. We glorify you. We magnify you. For it's in your sons' name we pray. Amen and amen.
6: Good morning, new community. Welcome, everyone. And it's my pleasure to be able to to speak to you today. Um, let's just open up with a word of prayer. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and who you are. And I pray that today that you would work in our hearts, that you would speak to us, that your word would cut into our hearts and help us, Lord, and grow us and help us to trust in you more. We thank you, Lord, for just your goodness and your kindness and who you are. May you be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the early 1400s, the king of both Italy and Bohemia promised both safe transport and safe custody to the pre-Reformation Bohemian reformer John Huss. However, both of them broke their promises leading to Huss's death in martyrdom in 1415. Has there ever been a time in your life where someone has failed to deliver or follow through on a promise? Maybe it was due to circumstances out of control, or maybe it was just due to a change of heart. If you, like me, have experienced something like this, you know that this can be very disappointing. And we live in a society with so many broken promises, it's hard to believe that people are actually going to follow through what, the, what they say. And sometimes, perhaps even most of the time, we even take this attitude when we come before God. Today's passage is here to remind us that he, that is God, is able to deliver on his promises. And I will be speaking from the book of Judges, More specifically, Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 22. So please follow along with me as I read this passage. Then Yerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod at the camp of Midian. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many." Take them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall not go, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, anyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to the mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel every man to his tent, but retained 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, "Arise. Go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Porah your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Porah his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I had a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it, so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and the empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars That were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held it in their left hands and torches in their right hands and the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerera, as far as the border of Abel Mahola by Tabath. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who may not be familiar with the setting of the book of Judges, this book tells us how the Israelites repeatedly failed to trust God, that is Yahweh, but worshipped other gods. As a result... God gave them into the hands of their enemies. Then when things got really dire, the Israelites would cry out to the Lord for deliverance, and God would answer by raising a judge or a leader to bring deliverance. In today's passage, Gideon was the one that God called to deliver his people, the Israelites. You see this in Judges 6. In this earlier chapter, God calls Gideon and tells him that he is going to deliver the Israelites through his hand. You see, in Judges 16, 6.14 and 6.16, it reads the following. And the Lord turned, him, turned to him, Gideon, and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midians. Do, do not I send you? And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites' As one man. Now, Gideon was a man with great potential, but he lacked a great deal of faith in the Lord. The Lord had to confirm with him several times in chapter 6 that he was, in fact, going to deliver Israel through his hand. In today's passage, it opens up on the heels of one of those confirmations that the Lord has given. It is at the, spot, uh, the site of the spring of Harod. This is, the spring of Herod is at the foot of Mount Geboa at the eastern end of the Jezreel Valley. The hill of Moreh was about eight miles northwest of them. Now, a few years ago, I had the privilege of visiting Israel, and um, the site for today's passage was actually one of the locations that we visited, and I have some pictures here for us, so... Uh, This first slide, I won't really, um, you can't see the sign, but what it says, it says the Herod spring bubbles up from Gideon's cave at the foot of Gilboa. This was a site where, according to the Bible, Gideon's soldiers were tried and selected for the war against the Midianites. So this is the place where they were actually, so this is another picture. It it goes into that, the spring. Uh, You can go to the next slide. And then this is kind of like the stream that, you know, they were supposed to be drinking from. And it's kind of dried up here because when we went there, it was like summertime, but it's, it's dried up. And um, one more. Yeah, and then as you can tell, it's been modernized, and there's a swimming pool now <laughs> over there on the side. So it's not the same as how it used to be, but this is actually the site where this story takes place. So... Yeah, it's actually very interesting and really amazing for me to realize, you know, just even visiting there, that these, these stories actually took place at a real site. And so it's, it's a real story. It's not just, you know, something that, you know, you read about as, you know, there's a stream, but those places actually exist in Israel. And the name of the spring comes from the Hebrew verb charad, which means to tremble. This is the same word that we find in verse 3 to describe the trembling of the portion of the army that turned back, those who were fearful and trembling. The chapter opens up with the Lord reminding Gideon that he will deliver the Midianites. However, he is not going to do it through the 32,000 men that Gideon had mustered up for battle. Here's where we find our first point. God is able to deliver on his promises, but it will be on his own terms. Now, 32,000 may sound like a lot of people, but compared to the Midianites who numbered 135,000, which is stated in chapter 8, verse 10, the Israelite numbers were actually pretty meager in comparison. The odds were already stacked against them, However, with 32,000 from a human standpoint, they still had a fighting chance. So God tells Gideon that he wants them to cut the numbers down even more. So we see in verse 3, the first cut involves sending home those who were fearful and trembling, and which in the end happened to be 22,000 men who returned. This is actually in alignment with Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, which reads, And all the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. However, the 10,000 remaining were still too many. So the Lord tells Gideon, in verses 4 to 6, that he wants to reduce the, tr- the troops even more. So in the end, Gideon was left with only 300 men from 32,000. Now God knows how much we are willing to attribute our successes to ourselves and to our meager resources, that sometimes he brings us to a point when there is nothing we can do, but to only trust in him alone. Notice, however, that again God reiterates that he promises to deliver in verse 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. God is able to deliver, but he will do it on his terms. Are we willing to submit And trust him. Even when he takes us to a place where it seems impossible, almost ridiculous. Has he brought you to a place where you can't do anything but turn to him? Have you come to your own resources, to the end of your own strength? Now is the time to believe that he is able, even when we are not. We must trust that God will deliver but he will do it on his own terms. Brothers and sisters, God is able to deliver on his promises. We need to trust in him even when circumstances seem impossible. As we see in the text, Gideon is in a very vulnerable state. There was absolutely no room for self-confidence. The army cannot claim the victory on their own merit. When the Lord delivers on his terms, he will receive all the glory. Now, I pride myself, I think, for being a hard worker and self-sufficient. So there's been times in my life where I've actually had five part-time jobs just to make ends meet. And this actually has been an area that God has been working on in my life. Uh, And when I first started seminary during my master's program... God brought me to a place where I did not have enough money to pay for next semester's tuition. And there was nothing I could do. The amount was too great, and I had no resources. And I still remember going to the prayer room and just crying out to God and asking him to provide because I couldn't do it. Then the next day... We received this check in the mail for an amount that covered my tuition. It was from friends who had received inheritance money and felt God wanted them to give us a certain amount from it. I couldn't believe it. God took me to the end of myself so that I could see him provide. It was not something that I earned, but it was a gift from him. And I could not take any credit. And this is a lesson that God has been continually teaching me. Are you in a place like that right now? Has God called you to do something but in his way? Or is God challenging you to fully trust in him and not in yourself? We must remember that God is able to deliver on his promises, but we need to submit to his ways. And that takes us to our second point from today's text. The second point is, He is able to deliver on His promises even when we doubt. We see this in verse 9 to 14. God comes to Gideon and reminds him again in verse 9 that He has given the Midianites into Gideon's hand. But God also knew that Gideon was still struggling with fear and doubt. And when, give, when he gives Gideon, and he gives Gideon yet another sign of assurance that he's going to deliver on his promise. Now Gideon has already received, as I said, two separate confirmations in chapter six. The two previous times, those were times that Gideon was the one who asks for the confirmation from God. Moreover, we see in Judges six thirty six, the text says that Gideon knew what God had already promised. That's because it was told to him in Judges 6, 14 to 16. And yet, he still asks for a sign. Here in chapter 7, God was willing to give his own sign of assurance if Gideon felt like he needed it. Now, Before we start judging Gideon, let's realize that he's in a completely absurd situation. He and his meager 300-man army were going to battle against 135,000 men. Notice how the text describes the enemies in verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Victory on human ground is impossible, and this constant emphasis on the vastness of the Midianites underscores this. The camp of Midian represents an almost insurmountable challenge to the undermanned Israelite army. In verse 13, we read about what happens when Gideon comes to the camp. We see that when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling his dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down, so the tent lay flat. The first usage of the word behold is used to introdu- introduce an unexpected moment. It can be translated as something like this at the same time. So you see, Gideon came to the camp at that same time or that same moment that the soldier was telling his comrade his dream. This is not a coincidence. Our God is a sovereign God who is not subject to chance, He is in full control. Notice, too, who God is using to assure Gideon. It is the enemies. This is a reminder that God can use anyone in his plans. That's right. And when I, one day I was talking to one of my students, actually, before, and I asked her how she became a Christian. And she told me that she went to a fortune teller. And the fortune teller told her that she had to go to church So she went and then eventually became a Christian and now she's in seminary. So God can use anyone for his purposes. So here in verse 13, we see that one Midianite has the dream and the other one interprets it. Verse 14 gives us that interpretation. And his comrade answered, there is no other. This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the, man, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Notice the similar wording and repetition from verse 7:2, 7 and 7:14. 2 gives to give the Midianites into their hand. 7-7, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. 7.14 says God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Gideon hears God's promise again and again, this time from the enemy's mouth. Notice, too, that the tense of the verb is past tense. He has given. Even the enemy knows that they have been given into Gideon's hands. There is no real fight because they have already been given into Gideon's hand. Gideon finally believes. One scholar notes, No character in the book of Judges receives more divine assurance than Gideon, and none other displays more doubt. Although we can't fault Gideon for fearing, we do know that he lacked faith. He continued to doubt God and his promises to him. On a human level, what is stressed is his fear and a sense of inadequacy for the task, as well as his lack of willingness to trust in Yahweh's word. He is in constant need of reassurance and moral support. Gideon is apparently a man of great potential and perhaps natural ability but he lacks significantly in his faith. In the way that God did for Gideon, sometimes God has to take us through such experiences to expose our fear and our lack of trust in him. In spite of Gideon's fear and lack of trust, God still uses Gideon to save Israel. Sometimes God must break down the walls that we have constructed to hide our fears and doubts of him. He must remove the pillars of our own illusions that hold us from believing in him. If we continue to depend on other things for our security and confidence, he must remove these to bring us to a point of true dependence on him alone. The reduction of the troops puts Gideon in a place where his fear Is exposed. God is interested in helping Gideon overcome his fear and doubt and to deal with his emotion through faith. He brought Gideon to a point where he must either trust God or reject him altogether. Please note that instead of turning away from Gideon because he doubted, God is simultaneously helping Gideon to overcome his fear and doubt as well as saving Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Although he is not obligated to work with us, God doesn't abandon us when we doubt. Praise God for that. He is faithful even when we are faithless. Second Timothy 2.13 reads, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Amen. This is the kind of God that we worship. He knows who we are, and he still works with us and through us, warts and all. Brothers and sisters, God will deliver on his promises even when we doubt. Fortunately, God does not leave us wallowing in our potential. When he brings us to trust in him and serve him, there is also worship of him. And that brings us to our third and final point. He is able to deliver on his promises, but he expects obedience. In verse 15, we find that as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Notice again the reiteration of God's promise when he calls to the camp. This time, it is from Gideon's mouth. Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. This section describes the action that Gideon takes. First, we see that he worships, because he knows that the victory is going to be God-given. The Hebrew word for worship is chava. It means to be prostrate before to bow down. It is the position that one takes before a higher person or someone in authority. When Gideon heard the interpretation, he finally realized that God was totally in control. Victory was in God's hands. Likewise, when we recognize that God is at work, we too must remember to worship. What this means is that we must acknowledge that he is God alone, and he alone can do what we cannot. He is God, but we can trust and submit to his plans. Next, Gideon moves into action, and he calls his troops to do the same. Notice, too, that he has a strategy. In verse 16 to 18, we read that he divides the troops into three groups— He gives them trumpets or shofars and empty jars with torches. Gideon tells the men to do as he does and to follow his lead. Here we see that obedience is not just haphazard and non-thinking. We must also use our God-given abilities and resources to follow through in our obedience. Gideon did not just rush to the camp. Without any strategy, even though he knew that God had given him the victory. Likewise, when we step out in obedience, we need to use our God given abilities as well as our resources. For myself, this means that I can't just not study and expect to do well just because God has called me to this. I must do my part in the way that I am equipped. How about you? What has God called you to do? How are you going to step out in obedience? Do you need to work with greater focus? Do you need to use your money more wisely? Do you need to make more wise decisions on how you use your time? Do you need to study more diligently? Let us think through ways that we can step out in obedience. Now, incidentally, my friend has one of the trumpets that uh, is described in the text, a shofar. So it's made actually of a ram's horn. So here's a picture. Uh, That's how it looks. So when they were blowing it, she said she hasn't blown into it, but her son has. So that's how it looks, and that's what they were blowing into, uh, 300 men. And I just thought I'd I'd give you that. (laughs) But let's go back to the text. So Gideon's army arrives at the beginning of the middle watch. Commentators think that this is a little bit after midnight. So it just so happens that they also arrived after the changing of the guards, which is usually a very chaotic time. Gideon and his men cried out, blew on their trumpets, and broke their jars. Now what did they cry out? Verse 20 reads, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. This is ironic because they didn't even have any swords. Instead, in the very next verse, it was the Lord that set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army of the Midianites. Gideon and his small army of men didn't even have to fight, but they did have to stand their ground. Here we see that even though God brings the victory, he still calls us to do our part. We need to step out in obedience. What has God called you to do? Are you delaying because of doubt? Put your trust in God and step out in obedience to what he has called you to do. Don't delay. Today's text is a reminder to all of us that God is able to deliver on his promises. Let us find deep encouragement from these words and move forward in faith towards obedience. Thank you.
4: If you could stand to your feet with us.